0: morning. My kids' three pieces of advice to me this morning on how I might do a good job were one, to open by eating a sword, eating fire, or doing backflips. And at this point in my life, I'd probably be most able to eat a sword or breathe fire. But uh, instead, I think we're just going to go with a lovely piece of scripture this morning instead. Um, have you heard the joke about the really good-looking guy? who was assigned to teach on the grinches, the attitudes of, that steal the Christmas spirit four days after Christmas takes place? If you haven't heard that joke, that joke would be me. I'm the guy assigned to teach on the grinches of Christmas spirit four days after Christmas. In the last four weeks, we've heard some great messages on how to safeguard and protect our Christmas spirit. But how do you teach on the Grinches of Christmas spirit on December 29th? uh, And what's the point? If you're trying to prevent a a Grinch from stealing your Christmas spirit for this Christmas, it's already too late. Christmas is over. And, And if you're trying to maintain that Christmas spirit for another 361 days until Christmas again, well, that's a different matter entirely. How do you do that? How do we keep from putting away the Christmas spirit with the Christmas decorations? To answer that, we're going to study an event that takes place in the Scriptures eight to 41 days after Jesus was born. From this event, we can take, the, we can take three lessons that can help us grow in our relationship with God and associate the Christmas spirit with our everyday. And the three lessons that I think we can take from this spirit are these. Be present. Be moved. Be changed. As part of this lesson, we're gonna look at four lives. A professional baseball player, a seven-foot-seven seven professional basketball player, a former offensive lineman for the Denver Broncos, and a lady with puffy 80s hair. Be present, be moved, be changed. Our scripture for this morning is taken from the book of Luke, chapter two, verses 22 through 40. So turning your Bibles, please, to Luke 2, starting with verse 22. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them at that very moment She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. This ends the reading from God's holy word. Let's pray together before we have our message this morning. Father, thank you so much for this week that you've given us and the amazing message that you've, you've blessed us with this time of year, Father. Uh, we pray that we would do something with that message, not just put it away. We pray that we would take it and apply it and use it, that it would mean so much. It would mean everything to us, Father, that we would be moved by your Spirit. We pray that, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. In your name we pray, amen. The scouting report on right-handed pitcher John Odom was that he had a 90-mile-an-hour fastball, a sharp curve, and a good change-up. After playing two seasons at Tallahassee Community College, uh, where he compiled a 6-1 record in 2004 and a 2.75 ERA, John Odom joined the San Francisco Giants farm system. He was a professional baseball pitcher. It made John proud he was good at baseball, and then it made his dad proud, said a friend of Odom's. He had so much going for him, said his former college coach, Mike McLeod. He was a tremendous guitar player as well. Coach McLeod said that John Odom had a musician's heart, not an athlete's heart. In fact, John Odom practiced the guitar so much, he actually hurt his elbow and missed some games. He missed most of the season in 2005 to have major surgery on his right elbow called Tommy John surgery, which is a is very, sur- uh, very serious procedure. He lost another season when he dislocated his shoulder while chasing down a base runner. When the Giants released John Odom in 2008 and the coach went to, to hug him goodbye, John Odom had tears in his eyes. The Calgary Vipers picked up John Odom two months later and wanted him to join their team. But the Vipers soon encountered immigration issues in trying to get their new pitcher into Canada. It appears he'd had some legal issues when he was a teen. So they had to seek a trade for John Odom as well. The Laredo Broncos in Texas needed another pitcher. They almost traded a hitter to the Vipers to get Odom. When that deal fell apart, the Laredo Broncos offered $1,000 in cash for the rights to John Odom. The Vipers wouldn't do that deal, though. They said they didn't do cash deals because uh, uh, cash deals made their team look financially unstable. What the Vipers could use, however, was bats. High quality, double dipped, black maple bats. So John Odom was traded from the Calgary Vipers to the Laredo Broncos for 10 bats. These bats, actually. The 10 bats were worth $69 a piece. The market said that John Odom was worth $695 in bats and not one maple bat more. And the press and the fans had a field day with this. News of the unorthodox trade went viral on the internet. There was an article in USA Today. How does it feel to be traded for bats was the first question that John Odom received after driving from 1,000 miles from the Canadian border to Laredo, Texas for his first game. Fans started calling him Batman. Ballpark started to play the old Batman theme song when Odom took the mound. In fact, here's a short video clip of John Odom himself talking about the trade on ESPN. Let's watch.
1: All right, over the past several decades, we have seen our fair share of odd trades in baseball. For example, in 1931, Chattanooga Lookouts owner Joe Engel traded shortstop Johnny Jones to Charlotte for a 25-pound turkey. In 1998, the Pacific Suns traded pitcher Ken Cranbuell to the Greenville Bluesmen for cash, another player, and 10 pounds of Mississippi catfish. Now another chapter has been added. Last Tuesday, the Calgary Vipers of the Golden Baseball League made a trade with the Laredo Broncos. So, pitcher John Odom goes from the Vipers to the Broncos in exchange for 10 double-dipped 34-inch maple bats. That's right, it wasn't even another player or cash involved, just bats. For more on this trade, we now say hello to the one and only John Odom. John, thank you for being here. You know what I'm going to ask you first. When you heard that the trade was finalized, what's the first thing that went through your mind when you found out it was for 10 maple bats?
2: Honestly, uh I was so happy to know that I didn't have to drive to another city. I'd been driving from from the Canadian border all the way to Laredo, Texas. So I was actually pretty happy to know I was going to get to play some baseball in the city, but uh as I thought about it more, I was like, "Wow, I didn't even know it was possible." <laughs> so uh but yeah, it's cool. <laughs> it's totally cool.
1: Okay, well, what is the reaction then then? So you say it's cool, but what about your your former teammates when they found out and and now your current teammates? Oh,
2: man. Oh, uh, this thing is such a zoo. They can't believe it, you know. They're just like, you know, why, how, how does that work out, you know? And, uh, I mean, I don't know. It's just been crazy, man. I'm trying to have as much fun with it as I can. I didn't really, I didn't think it'd be a story. Then all of a sudden people are like, oh, you're all over the internet and all this stuff. And uh, I just can't believe it, man.
1: Is it, uh, how do I ask this? Is it a good thing that you were traded know. for 10 bats? <laughs>
2: I mean, hopefully, I can turn it into a good thing. I mean, might go to turn it into a feel-good story, you know. I mean, uh, it can be good for the city. I mean, hopefully, fans will come see us win some ball games, and I mean, it's just—it's just one of those funny stories that I'll go down in history and I'll be able to tell my kids about, and you know, it's—it's—it's it's, it's just really funny, honestly, honestly.
0: It's one of those funny stories I'll be able to tell my kids about," he said. John Odom was wrong. John Odom was lying. When a fan asked how he could possibly handle the rejection of being traded for bats, Odom said, that's all you think life is about, sports? You get to know me. I'm a lot deeper. There's a lot more to me than baseball. As the attention grew, John Odom began to feel like a one-man freak show whose sole purpose in life was to sell tickets. They punked John, and it made him feel like an idiot, said Odom's friend. His father... Who'd been so proud to see him become a big league pitcher, was seriously ill. John Odom began to dabble with drugs again. Go back to the Bat Cave," yelled one fan as Odom left the mound after giving up eight runs in three innings. Finally, after a six-hour bus ride between games, John Odom had seen enough. "I'm leaving. I have some personal stuff to deal with back home," he told his coach. He moved back to Georgia. He got a job at H and R Block, but it didn't last. His coach from the Laredo Broncos felt bad about how everything had gone with his new pitcher. He knew that trans, uh, transition to life out of baseball was difficult too. He tried to call John to offer him another tryout in 2009, promising that things wouldn't be such a mess this time. All the coach could get was John Odom's voicemail box, and it was full. What the coach couldn't have known was that on November 5th, John Odom's body was found in his home, the victim of a drug overdose. Odom's family had buried their son quietly and privately with no announcement made, not even to let their friends know that he was gone. In fact, word didn't get out about Odom's death for four months. To this day, the family refuses all interview requests. No more Batman. No more Googling their son. John Odom was 26 years old when he died. Now... When you hear a story like that four days after Christmas, I know what some of you are thinking. Who invited Mr. Happy to preach here this morning? Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Four days after Christmas and you're bumming me out, Rickman. Still others of you, like me, can probably identify with a story like that. And that doesn't feel very Christmassy either. Have you ever felt like John Odom? I I know I have. And whether you're overflowing with the Christmas spirit this morning or whether you feel like you aren't worth a bag of bats this morning, the first thing I think we can take from the scripture we just read is to hear God's call telling us to be present. Be present in the events and message of Christ's birth and what they mean to us. Be present in what God's doing in you and around you now. Not just during Christmas. Be present in his word. Be alert. Be present. Look at the scripture we just read a moment ago. Scripture often read and studied in December as part of the Christmas story. But nobody ever reads it after Christmas when these events actually took place. By Jewish law, a baby boy was circumcised eight days after being born. And the woman, immediately upon giving birth, was declared ceremonially unclean for a total of 41 days after a son was born and for a total of 66 days after a daughter was born. It be, by being ceremonially unclean, it means she wasn't allowed to touch anything sacred or to go to the temple to worship. This story took place 8 to 41 days after the Christmas event. What are some of the things that are going to happen in your life in the next 41 to 66 days that might get you and your mind out of the Christmas spirit and, and away from the Christmas message? Well, all the, Chris, the credit card bills from Christmas will come due, right? School will start again. New Year's bowl games, the NFL playoffs and the Super Bowl, the Winter Olympics, the Academy Awards, all of these things will take place in the next 41 to 66 days. And whether those events are going to be good, hopefully like Peyton Manning in the Super Bowl, or bad, like the bills that we get uh, from Christmas, isn't it true that these things may impact the amount of Christmas spirit we have in February and the the amount of attention that we give to the Christmas event in February? Isn't that possible? But look at the two people that we read about in Luke chapter 2, Simeon and Anna. Anna was 84 years old, and yet her daily life, as we see in verse 37, was marked by constant prayer, fasting, and praying every day. Not once a week on Sunday mornings, every day. This lady was the Denny's of worship, always open, never closed. Always present. Always engaged in relationship with God. That's how she's remembered and recorded in the scriptures. And look at Simeon. Now we're not told exactly how old Simeon was, but by all accounts that i found, he was an old dude, okay? And like Anna, it appears that Simeon was a a regular person, just like you and me. Wasn't a priest, wasn't a teacher of the law, He was a regular guy. But we know four things that we can take from verses 25 and 26 about Simeon. One, We know that Simeon was righteous. Righteous means he was just. He acted rightly. He conformed to the standard of God's law. What else do we know about Simeon? We know he was devout. That means his faith in God was sincere, natural, and an important and visible part of who he was. People described in the Bible as being devout were people like Mary's husband Joseph, John the Baptist, and Jesus himself. By comparison, Research done for the book on Christian by Gabe Lyons and David Kinnaman, Kinnaman part of Barner Research Group, found that only one out of seven Christians today, one out of seven, is described by outsiders as having a faith that seems genuine and sincere. One out of seven. Not enough of us look like Simeon. What else do we know? We know from verse 25 that Simeon was filled with the Holy Spirit And we know from verse 25 that Simeon had devoted his life for an unspecified but apparently long amount of time to waiting for the consolation of Israel. His life was characterized most by waiting. Waiting for God to bring the promised help. Waiting for a Messiah. Max Lucado describes this quality best in his book, When Christ Comes. He writes that Simeon knew how to wait for the arrival of Christ. Maybe you know what it's like to look for someone Uh, who has come for you. I do, Max Lucado writes. When I travel somewhere to speak, I often don't know who will pick me up at the airport. Someone has been sent, but I don't know the person. Hence, I exit the plane, searching the faces for a face I've never seen. But though I've never seen the person, I know I'll find him. I bet Simeon would have said the same. How will you know the king, Simeon? I don't know, I just know I will. And so he searches. Like Columbo after clues, he searches, studying each passing face, staring into the eyes of strangers. He's looking for someone. Not demanding, not hurrying, he was waiting, patiently vigilant, calmly expectant, eyes open, arms extended, searching the crowd for the right face, and hoping the face appears today. Such was the lifestyle of Simeon, and such can be ours. Think what it's like to be searching for someone in a crowd. Think about what that's like. What would our faith look like if we were looking for God at work in the world, in us and around us, as if we were looking for someone in a crowd? Would we be more likely to spot a John Odom in the crowd, who desperate, someone who desperately needs our help? Would we be more effective at loving God and loving others? If we're looking for Christ and what he's doing in us and around us now, isn't it possible that we might be more inclined To maybe view our worth as more than just a bag of bats, as well? Look at Luke 2 again. Mary and Joseph don't have name tags on when they walk into the temple that day with their son. That day, the only two people who were recorded in the scriptures as recognizing Jesus were Simeon and Anna. They see the child and they know it's him, it's the Messiah. That's the first lesson I think we can take from Simeon and Anna. To be present in our faith and watchful in the world for for, for God and people around us constantly, not just at Christmas. And when we do this, we're present and we're active in our faith. The likely response, or more likely at at least, is that we will move and join in his work. Be present, then be moved. In Luke 2.26, the Holy Spirit tells Simeon, he will not die before he has seen the Messiah. So he's present, and he responds every day looking for the Messiah. Then the Holy Spirit prompts Simeon to go to the temple, so he goes. Luke 2, verse 27 says, Moved by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple courts. So think about that rationally. Simeon didn't happen to be in the temple that day when Jesus showed up, okay? God called Simeon to a place That he hadn't planned to go at a time when he was doing something else, but when he was moved by the Holy Spirit, he went. He he went. When was the last time the Holy Spirit moved you like that? When was the last time you were present in your faith and you were prompted by the Holy Spirit to do something or say something? And did you respond? Did you do it right then? In what ways is the Holy Spirit calling you, calling us as a church body to move in the year ahead? And will we move? Will we move? To minister to a coworker, to seek help for that part of your life you've been struggling with, to join a short-term mission, to give, to serve the poor right here in Denver, to clean up the church parking lot, to help in the church nursery. Now, I'm a big NBA and college basketball fan, Basketball is my favorite sport by far, and one of the least impressive players I've ever seen play the game was center Manute Bull, who played in the NBA from 1985 to 1995. The first time I saw Manute Bull play, I was completely unimpressed. Manute Bull was the first African player to be drafted into the NBA. He was a Dinka tribesman from Sudan when he was discovered by scouts. In 1979, Manute Bull had never even heard of basketball. He didn't speak English. He'd never even held a pencil, one newspaper article said. Just six years later, six years later, he was in the NBA. Manute Bull's basketball skills were very limited. He was used primarily as a shot blocker. Although he was an enormous seven foot seven, he weighed only 200 pounds. Manute Bull was a seven foot seven inch stick. By comparison, Charles Barkley was six foot six inches, but he weighed 250 pounds. I, I remember watching Charles Barkley play Manute Bull, and Charles Barkley pushed that man all over the floor. The thing that stood out to me was how he carried himself, recalls Charles Barkley, who played against and with Manute Bull. Barkley said that Manute Bull was always concerned about his physical appearance. He wanted to be looked upon, dignified, and i was impressed by that sir charles said by all accounts manute bull was not a morning person he was always grumpy in the mornings one day early in 1988 after getting home from a long road trip manute bull's phone rang persistently enough that finally manute bull had to get up to answer the phone and see who it was and when he does when he answered the phone he was ticked off why are you calling me so early he yelled in his deep voice to whoever was on the other end of the line don't you know that i'm sleeping the man on the other end of the line was unsympathetic. He was calling because militias were sweeping through southern Sudan, where Manute Bol was from, leaving villages burned and children orphaned. You're sleeping, the caller yelled back. While you're sleeping, people are dying. A follower of Christ, Manute Bol's life was moved that day by the Holy Spirit, and he responded. He moved. He committed to build 41 schools in Sudan. 41 schools where he hoped education would reunite a region that had been torn apart by war. He built hospitals in Sudan. He gave away virtually all of the six million dollars he made playing in the NBA. By the end, he was living off the charity of friends, the newspapers reported. As his NBA career came to an unimpressive close, his body was racked by arthritis. He battled acute kidney failure and a potentially fatal skin disease, and yet he continued to move. He continued to respond to the Spirit's call. Remember how Charles Barkley said Manute Bull had always been concerned early in his career with how he was seen, that he'd be looked upon as dignified? When his fortune dried up, Manute Bull raised more money for charity by doing what most athletes would find humiliating. He turned himself into a humorous spectacle, said an article in the Wall Street Journal. He was hired as a a horse jockey. Michael Jordan would not do that. For publicity stunt, he dressed up as a hockey player. Can you imagine Jerry West or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar doing that? His body racked with arthritis. Manute Bull agreed to dress up as a celebrity boxer to fight 335-pound former Chicago Bear, William the Refrigerator Perry. Manute Bull let people laugh at him for $30,000 for that fight, and then he turned around and he gave all that money away. He's at best a cult hero, and at worst a freak show, wrote one columnist. Manute Bull died at the age of 47 from a disease he contracted in the mission field in Sudan. Upon his death, the Wall Street Journal wrote this. Manute Bull agreed to be a clown, but he was not willing to be mocked for his own personal gain, as so many reality television stars are. Bull let himself be ridiculed on behalf of suffering strangers in the Sudan. He was a fool for Christ. He was a fool for Christ. That's the Wall Street Journal writing that. Not focus on the family, not Christianity today, the Wall Street Journal. Writing that about a man's faith and the way he was moved and used for Christ. In the year ahead, will we be present in our faith? Will we be used and moved as followers of Christ and as a church body like that? Or will we put away our Christmas spirit with the decorations and go about our business like the people did in the temple when Joseph and Mary walked in with their son? So we've looked at two lessons we see in Luke 2 for keeping the spirit associated with our faith, faith beyond just the Christmas spirit, but beyond just the Christmas season. Be present in our faith and what God is doing in and around us every day and be moved by the spirit to join in what he's doing. And when we do these things, when we're present and active in our faith and we're moved, we join them. The third lesson we can take from Luke 2, verses 22 through 40, is that we're changed. Be present, be moved, be changed. In Luke 2, Anna was 84 years old. She worshiped night and day, fasted and prayed daily. She was present in her faith. When Joseph and Mary walk into the temple with Jesus, Anna moves immediately immediately. Verse 38 says she came up to the Messiah at that very moment and gave thanks. As a result, she was changed. It says she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward, looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. And Simeon, after a lifetime of looking for the Messiah every day in the faces of people, like looking for a face in an airport crowd, Simeon is moved by the Spirit. Today's the day, the Holy Spirit says. And he moves. When he does, he finds himself holding the, very, holding the very Messiah he'd been looking for every day. Holding the Messiah in his arms, and he's changed. Imagine what that must have felt like after looking for someone your whole life to hold the Messiah in your arms and say, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Be present, be moved, be changed. A a few moments ago, I told you you'll have opportunities in the weeks ahead to move and to respond as part of the church body. We're also gonna have a really neat opportunity to be more present in our relationship with God and to be changed more by that relationship in the year ahead. In a meeting a few weeks ago, some people in this church, like Ryan Long, Nathan Harrison, Jeremiah Quinones, Dan Sarian, Dave McDonald, people who love you and care about your development and your presence in this church. They had a great idea. They said, let's begin the year as a church body looking at specific and or different ways to come into deeper relationship with God and be further and deeper changed by that relationship in the year ahead. I can't think, I can't think of a better New Year's resolution or a better way to begin the year than that, can you? People love you. Some people might call that discipleship. Some people might call it spiritual discipline. At the end of the day, it's all about creating a deeper and stronger relationship with God. We'll begin that study next week. Don't, don't come on Sundays just to hear the message, be a part of it, be present be moved, be changed. From 1997 to 2007, Matt Lepsis became one of the most famous offensive linemen to ever play for the Broncos. He was on the roster in the second, uh, when the Broncos won their second Super Bowl with Terrell Davis and John Elway. And in 2006, Matt Lepsis signed a huge four-year contract with the Broncos paying him $25 million dollars. The last thing on my mind was God, Matt Lepsis recalls. And yet, as a millionaire and starring in the NFL in 2007, it began to strike him as strange that one day he'd buy a car and a month later he'd want another. Money just wasn't doing it for him. Matt Lepsis tried drugs. He played the first six games after signing a $25 million contract on drugs. Still was empty. Finally, at the urging of place kicker Jason Elam, Matt Lepsis locked himself in his closet at home and prayed. It was the first time in my life I said a meaningful prayer, said Lepsis. For the first time in my life, I I understood who Jesus was and why he died and the sacrifice he made, and I was completely consumed by it, Lepsis told the Denver Post. It was a pretty radical thing that happened to me right in the middle of the season. I could not concentrate on football anymore. As the Broncos were preparing uh, to play the Detroit Lions in week eight that year, Lepsis was praying to become saved. When the Broncos were humiliated by the Lions that year, later that week, Mike Shanahan chewed out one player in the next team meeting for lack of effort, Matt Lepsis. I couldn't give what I didn't have, Lepsis had, remembers. Halfway through the season, I was no longer a football player. I was a reborn Christian. Matt Lepsis immediately retired walking away with more than $9 million left on his contract. It took courage for Lepsis to come forward with this story because so many will dwell on the stumble and ignore the walk, wrote a Denver Post columnist. Please don't put away the Christmas spirit with your Christmas decorations. Even more, don't ignore your walk and your relationship with God in all the distractions over the next 41 to 66 days. Don't just join us for the upcoming messages starting next Sunday. Be a part of them. Be present. Be moved. Be changed. Before we close, and as we uh, approach New Year's Eve this week, I'd like to look at this message in the life of one more person, a lady with puffy 80s hair named Meg Ryan. In this scene from one of my favorite movies, When Harry Met Sally, Billy Crystal shares a line that I've remembered for almost 25 years now. It's a perfect line for us to carry forward into the new year and the attitude that we can bring to this new series and to to our relationship with God in the year ahead. See if you can find this line that I've loved for 25 years. Let's watch.
2: I've been doing a lot of singing thing is, I love you. What? I love you. How do you expect me to respond to this?
1: How about you love me, too?
2: How about I'm leaving?
1: Doesn't what
0: I said mean anything to you?
1: I'm sorry, Harry. I know it's New Year's Eve. I know you're feeling lonely, but you just can't show up here, tell me you love me, and expect that to make everything all right. It doesn't work this way.
0: Well, how does it work?
1: I don't know, but not this way.
0: How about this way? I love that you get cold when it's 71 degrees. I love that it takes you an hour and a half to order a sandwich. I love that you get a little crinkle above your nose when you're looking at me like I'm nuts. I love that after I spend a day with you, I can still smell your perfume on my clothes, and I love that you are the last person I want to talk to before I go to sleep at night. And it's not because I'm lonely, and it's not because it's New Year's Eve. I came here tonight because when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody,
1: you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. You see? That is just like you, Harry. You say things like that, and you make it impossible for me to hate you. And I hate you, Harry. I really hate you.
0: When you realize you wanna spend the rest of your life with someone, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. In a spiritual sense, that's the message God sends in the life of his son. His name is Emmanuel, means God with us now. Not just at Christmas, not when we get to heaven. God with us now, now. That's the spirit. That's the relationship that we can cultivate with God now and in the year ahead. When you want to spend the rest of your life with someone, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. Be present. Be moved. Be changed. Now we're going to sing a final song uh, with Rebecca and, and let that song be our final prayer and our benediction for this service.